Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hello, welcome to the Defender Bible Study podcast. This is Chris Johnson, the National Director of Church Partnerships for Lifeline Children's Services. Today is Monday, March 28th, 2022, and we are continuing our look at the book Image Bearers. Today we'll be discussing the principles found in Chapter 5, Respecting Women, Honoring Marriage. Well, we are continuing today with our look at the book Image Bearers as we're kind of walking through the principles that are there that uh, really are the bedrock of our understanding of who we are as a ministry and and ultimately as Christ followers who understand that every person is created in the image of God and, and uh, bears his image and was made for his glory. And so today we are moving into chapter number five, and we are looking at respecting women and honoring marriage. And uh, so we get to talk about one of my favorite subjects. I love talking about marriage. Uh, I love being married, and I'm thankful for uh, God's work in my life. At the same time, I think it's important from the very beginning to recognize that God does not call everyone to marriage, and uh, that is something that that we see in Scripture, and even some of the things that we're going to talk about today uh, speak to the importance of marriage and God's plan for marriage, but uh, also we see clearly in Scripture that, that that is not God's plan for everyone, and there are some that God has a, a unique calling on that uh, Paul certainly, of course, addressed this in his own life and his own teachings of the uh, the realities of sometimes for ministry's sake, it's better not to be married, but I think we're going to see from God's Word and just from our understanding of marriage how beautiful it is and really how it is a part of God's plan and God's design. Uh, Marriage is God's idea. And because of that, uh, we see a lot of attacks on marriage. It is a, it is a root understanding of, again, recognizing family, the role of family, the importance of family, and, and godly biblical family begins with a biblical marriage. And so it's important that we, that we recognize that. When you look at chapter five of Image Bearers, uh, the first few chapters really present a pretty gloomy picture. Uh, there are a lot of statistics there around the world's perspective on marriage and uh, the the view of, of the world on, on marriage and the realities of even the um, recent generations and their perspective on marriage, viewing it as as something that is that is antiquated, viewing it as something that is not necessary, viewing it as something um, that is that is really crazy for us to think about two individuals, a man and a woman coming together for lifetime. Uh, and, and we see over and over again, and we see the effects that that has on the understanding. If we, if we get, if we miss the biblical description of the, of the nuclear family, we miss the whole idea and the plan that God has for perpetuating his gospel and, and, and continuing uh, into generations. And so we, if, if the world, if the enemy can break apart our understanding of family and cause us to accept and, and really just just enjoy and, and live out definitions of family that are contrary to God's word, that he has us in a place that really it's a, it's a slippery slope into so many other areas. And, um, you know, if we don't, if we don't believe what God's word has to say about marriage, uh, then why believe what God's word has to say about other things? If we can adjust and twist and, and, and realign the definitions of marriage and what a marriage is and what a marriage looks like and what a family looks like, um, then we certainly can do that with so many other areas, uh, of our life. And we have seen this certainly with, um, 
the homosexual agenda and transgender and all these different pieces just totally breaking down God's definition of, of male and female and God's definition of, of one man and one woman coming together uh, in marriage. And so we're going we're gonna to look today at really what, what God's Word has to say about marriage and understanding uh, how to honor marriage and, and the, the role of marriage in society and in our lives and, and from a biblical perspective. And again, it's so important that we do this when we, you know, there was a time when we very rarely, um, you know, heard, especially in the church of, of divorce was, was taught as something that was to be avoided. Um, we, but now we're, we're seeing more and more, we're seeing, um, you know, d- divorce rates that, that are pretty much the same in the church as they are in the world. Some people would even argue that they're worse in the church and uh, to some degree. And some of that is, is presented in image bearers is because the world is kind of moving to a place where they just don't even see the need for marriage. And so less and less people are, are getting married because of that understanding. And so there are a lot of different nuances to that. But I think we, we all need to understand and, and see from the very beginning that we must do what we can to fight against the enemy, to fight against the uh, the breaking down of biblical definitions and biblical understanding, and specifically as we look at marriage and as we look at uh, the plan that God has. Uh, two key passages that we see on marriage, and I would we're going to look at both of them today. I would encourage you to, uh, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to Genesis chapter number two, and then also Ephesians chapter number five. These are pretty much uh, kind of the, the key passages where we see there are a lot of other verses that address marriage. Marriage and and those kind of things. Of course, in Genesis chapter two, we have the create the creation account. Uh, God creating uh, the world, creating animals, then creating man, uh, and then seeing in Genesis chapter at the end of chapter two here, beginning verse number eighteen, that it was not good for man to be alone. And so He created uh, an Eve as a helpmeet to Adam, and we see the first union of man and woman coming together. And uh, so I'm going to read this this account of this, and then we'll we'll look at some of these things. Beginning in verse number 18, Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground of the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he could call would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that is that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we see here that the whole idea of union in marriage, the whole idea of coming together in marriage uh, was God's idea from the beginning. It was his plan. It was his purpose. He's the one that thought up the idea. Again, I am a big fan and uh, I'm grateful for uh, the idea of marriage and grateful for God's direction in it. And uh, and so we see here that, that this is God's plan. Psalm 127.1 says that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so it's important that we understand if we're going to uh, 
to, to value marriage and see the importance of building lasting marriages. It's important that we understand marriage from a biblical perspective. What are the what are the purposes? What are the build the the, uh, the biblical purposes uh, of marriage? Why do we why do we even have marriage? And why is it important uh, that we that we recognize uh, marriage and that we that we give it the hold it in the esteem that that we that we should hold it in? Uh, several purposes and designs around marriage that I think we see from God's word. Number one, God designed marriage. One of the purposes of marriage is, is, is to complete one another. It's to complete one another. You see here in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, uh, God said it was, it was not good that, that man be alone. Uh, God in his creation and his design and in his, uh, in his, in his wisdom, he created men and women with unique abilities, uh, with unique characteristics, but also with unique needs. And so he, there are, there are specific needs that men have. There are specific needs that women have. And part of his design in marriage is bringing those two together so that in, in the union of marriage, we see the strengths of man, the strengths of woman, both being recognized and honored. We see the, the needs of man, the needs of woman coming together and finding their, uh, their, those needs being, being met in the union of marriage. And so in each of these, in each of these purposes, I think that we also see uh, a response to that purpose. And I think the, the purpose of completing one another, the response is that we are to receive the mate that God has given us. We're to receive the mate that God has given us. Adam says here, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam recognized that there were certain needs that he had and saw that God had given Eve to help meet those needs. I think in, in our lives, it's important that we recognize that, that we as men recognize the, uh, the, the, the needs that we have and the holes that are, that are in who we are. And the, the reality is the, the unique wife that God gives us is, is there to, to meet those needs and to, uh, to fill those gaps. Uh, he says here that Adam needed a helper. And, and again, just understanding too, in a biblical response and understanding of the role of man and the role of woman, it is not a subservient role in any way, shape, form, or fashion. God didn't say that he gave a woman to, to serve Adam as far as to, uh, to be his, his slave, his servant. He gave a helper. And it's it's interesting that the word that God uses there for helper, it's the same word that he uses in other places in scripture, even to describe himself. So it's not a role, a demeaning role. It is a, it is really an honoring role. It's a role of, of honor and a role of esteem, saying and recognizing the reality that, that men, we need our wives. We need a help. We need someone in our life to, to make us better, to, to help us be who God has called us to be. The reality is when God sees us in our life and he brings us together in marriage, God creates something together that didn't exist when we were apart. And when God brings man and woman together, he brings them together to accomplish his purposes, to accomplish his wills. I can look at my own marriage and see in so many different ways uh, how I am so much better because Alicia is in my life. Alicia and I are so much better as a team serving God together and following God together. There are things that I miss, things that I don't understand that she is so much better at than I am. And she uh, is able to, to help me with those things and guide me in those things. And there certainly are things in, in her life that I can support and encourage and help her as well. But part of God's design in marriage is to bring two needy people together to complete one another and to encourage one another and to support one another. And we must receive the mate that God has given us. I would also give this admonition to those that are not married to be patient and let God bring the right person in your life. God knows you better than you know yourself. And God knows exactly who you need to help you accomplish his purposes and wills. And, and don't try to run ahead of God and try to 
to, to fix something into your life that, that is not a part of God's plan, but trust him, rely on him and allow him to bring the right person in your life. I know that there oftentimes is a longing to be married. And because of that longing, we will accept something that is less than what God has for us. And so I want to encourage you to trust God and let God bring the right person into your life. Uh, I also would say to those who, who are in marriage and maybe you're thinking, man, the, the, the person that God, that I've got in my life right now really is not the right fit. This isn't a good fit. And, and there'd be that the devil would say, well, if it's not a good fit, go find someone else that's a better fit. And of course, the reality is if it's the person that God has in your life right now, um, man, do everything you can to keep that together. Keep that marriage together. Don't seek looking for completion outside of that, but trust that God has given you the mate that he has for your life. The next purpose we see in scripture uh, for marriage is the purpose to uh, God designed marriage to multiply a godly legacy to multiply a godly legacy. In chapter one of Genesis, verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's plan for marriage is to multiply a godly legacy. Uh, Psalm number 127, verse three, children are a heritage of the Lord. Uh, we see over and over again that God's plan for, for moving forward and an understanding of his word and understanding of who he is. He, he plans for this to be accomplished in the family. His admonition to the children of Israel over and over again, Deuteronomy chapter six, it's exactly what he told them to do. He said, as you get up in the morning, as you go about your day, as you go to bed at night, you teach these things. You teach the realities of, of one God. You teach these things to your children. Psalm number 78, we see this, uh, this charge that we're to take what we've learned and we're to pass to the next generation, who then passes to the next generation, who then passes to the next generation. And again, the enemy knows this, and the enemy knows if he can break down and destroy the biblical understanding of family, then it is less likely that biblical understanding of, of, of doctrine and, and the teachings of God's word, that it is less likely that those things will be perpetuated, perpetuated to the next generation and moved to the next generation. It's important that we see that God's design for family is to multiply a godly legacy. The response here to this is the action is that we're to take is that we're to teach and train the next generation. We're to take the things that God has taught us and we're to train those things, uh, teach those things to the next generation and train them in the way to go, in the way to, to walk, in the way to live. Now, again, of course, we know that there are times where, where God does not uh, allow people to have children. And, uh, but there's certainly even in those contexts, there are opportunities for those who are without children to maybe welcome children into their family through adoption, through foster care, or maybe through mentoring or engaging in with, with other families in your church setting and in your community. But there is this responsibility in this picture that marriage is designed to continue to, to push forward the, the understanding of biblical principles, the understanding of God's word. God designed the home and he designed the family really to be a greenhouse, a nurturing center where, where children grow up to learn character, to learn values, to learn integrity, to learn the ways of God. So one purpose of marriage is to complete one another. Another is to multiply a godly legacy. Another is to enjoy the physical pleasure and intimacy. Uh, part of God's design and part of God's plan is that we would enjoy a physical relationship in the, in the context of marriage. 
And if that makes you feel a little uncomfortable or you're like, wait a minute, you think that's really one of the reasons that God gave marriage? Absolutely. We see that through scripture. If you're, if you're shy about that, then certainly don't read Song of Solomon. Uh, there's a lot of the, in there that, that strictly talks about just the enjoyment and the pleasure, the, the beautiful pleasure that comes in the marriage relationship and that God designed for that. Uh, the book of Proverbs also has things to say about that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four, marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled. Uh, the reality is God designed marriage and it designed a, a physical relationship and a physical enjoyment to be expressed, to be enjoyed within the marriage relationship. Now, the reason that we oftentimes don't hear this talked about in church settings, and oftentimes there's this sense of shame and and and, and misunderstanding about God's design for sex and God's design for, for the physical relationship is because we've totally twisted God's plan. We've, we've entered into uh, sexual relationships outside of marriage, before marriage. We've twisted and, and uh, we've We've accepted forms of sexuality that are contrary to God's design and to God's plan. And so our response to this purpose and our action to this is that we must keep ourselves pure. We must keep ourselves pure. Uh, we must we must seek to, as, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, to avoid all forms of fornication. Stay away from that sexual sin because, again, that's the enemy's way of breaking down what's something that God intended to be beautiful, something that God intended to be enjoyed. And because we have allowed the ways of the world and the things that we that we watch on television or that we watch on our computers, the things that the things that we read and we allow to enter into our mind that distort something that is so beautiful that God has created. And so if we're going to truly enjoy the the relationship and the marriage context that God intended for us to enjoy, it's important that we keep ourselves pure. And again, this is why it's so important to those who are not yet married, that you uh, stay away. Man, I I try our best to to teach our children and and, and we all want to recognize just, uh, again, don't settle for the the counterfeit offering that the the enemy offers. Uh, Man, it, it it is lacking, it is missing. And we and we when we really accept God's biblical design for sex, we're able to enjoy it so much more in the context of marriage. Another purpose that we see, another biblical purpose purpose of marriage, and I think really kind of encapsulates the whole idea and understanding really of marriage is that marriage is designed to mirror God's image. Marriage is designed to mirror God's image. We see this uh, here again in Genesis uh, chapter chapter, uh, chapter one. We see it in verses number twenty six and twenty seven. We we see the idea again that man was created in, in God's image and 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 he created male and female in his image. And then as he brings this relationship together, the idea and the design is that that these two individuals created in God's image would come together to mirror and reflect the image of God. When a when a man and woman coming together in marriage. With God at the center, they will reflect his image. The world will see in their relationship a picture of who God is, a picture of how God loves. Uh, God chose to use marriage as a picture of his relationship with the church. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5. And turn over there, if you will, Ephesians chapter 5. Again, very familiar passage of scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or or any such thing uh, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for he, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And, um, 
just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, quoting again Genesis uh, Genesis 2, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I say that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We see that that God's design for marriage is to reflect his image, and, and, and just beautiful picture of the way that God treats his church as his bride, the way that he loves her, the way that he refines her, the way that he instructs her and guides her so that she comes into an understanding of his love, so that she is able to receive his love, so that she is able to be presented by by Christ as one without spot and without blemish. And in the marriage relationship, we especially as men, we have a responsibility to love and to cherish our wives. We have a responsibility to lead our wives in the way that honors the Lord. We have a responsibility to reflect God's love for us, to reflect that as we uh, love our love our uh, our, our brides, we, as we love uh, our wives. We have that opportunity to uh, to reflect God's image, to reflect God's desire, to reflect God's plan uh, in this. Men, we have uh, a responsibility to, to train our wives in the ways of the Lord, to teach them the word of God, uh, to teach them to, to pursue God and to walk in righteousness. And our goal and our desire ought to be to, com- to present our wives complete in Christ. And we see that also as the wife receives the love of the husband, as she receives the training and the teaching and the understanding and all those things uh, of the husband, then it also is a picture of, again, just this beautiful relationship that the church has with Christ. And so what is our response as we see that the, the, the purpose and plan for marriage is that we would, uh, that we would reflect and mirror God's image. What is our response to that? What is our action? I believe that we as individuals, we must pursue our relationship with God more than anything else. We must pursue our relationship with God more than anything else. If I'm going to reflect God's love for his church, if I'm going to reflect that in my relationship to Alicia, then I must pursue God with all that I have because I'm only going to be able to reflect his image as I become more like him. If Alicia is going to respond properly uh, to, uh, to that, to that love and to that relationship, then she too must pursue Christ. We make the mistake oftentimes of when we enter into marriage, pursuing uh, the, just the closeness with the spouse and pursuing what the spouse, but the reality is as man and as woman, as we both pursue that relationship with Christ and try to become more like God, the more we grow closer to Christ, the more we grow closer to one another as well. And so again, my challenge to those who are unmarried would be that as you are desiring to be married and desiring to have that right person into your life, pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. And as you are pursuing Christ, God has someone uh, that, that is also pursuing Christ that he will bring into that he will bring into your life. And in his right time, in his right way, as you are pursuing him, he will bring that right person and, and allow you to be a part of that relationship. So we see just the biblical purposes, the biblical design of marriage and how we're to respond to that. But we also, not only if, if we're going to have lasting, strong marriages, if we're going to honor marriage, should we understand the biblical design for marriage? But we also must fight for intimacy in marriage. We must fight for intimacy in marriage. 
Going back to Genesis chapter one, when we see God, or chapter two, when we see God putting this first marriage together, verses 24 and 25 should not, uh, we, we really should look at that. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In that verse, we have really the, the secret and the design of, of marriage and really God's plan for, for marriages being successful and marriages being fulfilling. fulfilling. It's a, it's a three-pronged process. We're to, to leave, we're to cleave, and we're to be one. Leave, cleave, and be one. The, the first part is this leave. And, and, and just in case there's any doubt, Jesus himself in the book of Matthew quoted this same passage. And then he added to the end of that, therefore, what God's doing together, let no man put us under. So he, he says here that, first of all, there is to be this leaving. There, for this cause shall a man leave, uh, the man shall leave his father and his mother. So there has to be this establishing of independence. There has to be this time and this movement in the, in the parent-child relationship, that, that growing, growing, that child growing up, that's the number one relationship. Relationship. When my first daughter, my first my firstborn daughter, uh, turned 25 last week, and so 25 years ago, when she was first born, from the time that she was very small, when we would have conversations, and I would seek to teach her and train her, I used to, when she was very little, I would always say to her, "Okay, Alyssa, who's the number one man in your life?" And she would say, "Daddy, you are." And I, I was intentional in teaching her that because I wanted her to recognize that. As she got older and other men tried to speak into her life and other relationships came, I wanted her to remember that she had a dad, a father that loved her and always had her best interest at heart. And so we would say that as she was growing up. And even as she moved into the, those dating years, as she would begin to date people, she'd go on a, before she'd go on a date, I'd say to her, before you leave today, you make sure that you honor God and everything that you say and do. And then remember, who's the number one man in your life? And she'd say back to me, daddy, you are. Daddy, you are. Man, I, I wanted her to know that, and I ingrained that into her. But you know what? One day there came a day where I took her hand, and I placed her hand in the hand of another man. And on that wedding day, as we were enjoying the father-daughter dance right there on the dance floor, I leaned over to Alyssa, and I whispered in her ear, and I said, Alyssa, who's the number one man in your life? And she looked at me, and she smiled, and she said, Micah. And I said, you're exactly right. Now, I probably, well, I know there were tears in my eyes as I said that, and that was one of the most difficult things to say and to recognize, but the reality is from that moment on, no longer is her dad the number one man in her life. Now her husband is the number one man in her life. And there has to be that establishing of independence and that moving uh, from a place to where that in marriage, that the relationship with your spouse is head and shoulders above all other relationships. You're still going to be connected with your family. You're still going to have friendships. You're still going to have people that speak into your life. But if you in your marriage have a friend or someone that has a place of supremacy over the relationship that you have with your spouse, then your marriage is in a dangerous place. We've got to protect. There's got to be a leaving of the other relationships so that now that marriage relationship is the number one relationship in your life. There is the leaving. But then it says that that this, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. Now, the King James, I love the King James word. I used it a while ago. The King James word here is to cleave to his wife. And I think this cleaving and this holding fast gives this idea and understanding that we must have that marriage is a permanent thing, that marriage is not something to hold lightly. 
The word cleave that's used in the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it was described of one of David's mighty men. And it says about David's mighty man that he cleaved to his sword. And the idea and the tradition tells us that the understanding is that this man held so tightly to his sword that, that they could not pry his hand. And even after he died, they had to literally cut his, his, cut it off at his wrist to be able to get the hand to break free. There was such a tight hold on that. And that's the same way that we ought to approach marriage. We ought to do everything in our power to cleave to that marriage relationship, to cleave to our spouse. And by in doing this, it's important that we understand, again, something about God's design and God's plan that is in conflict with the world's understanding. You see, the world approaches marriage like a contract. We've got a lot of contracts in our life. We all understand the nature of contracts. We enter into a contract with a bank for a mortgage on our house. We enter into a contract to, to, to take out a loan to buy our car or maybe maybe a contract on a, on a gym membership or, or different things in our life, different contracts that we sign. And the world views marriage as a contract, uh, as a governmental contract. But God's word teaches marriage is so much more than a contract. God's word teaches that marriage is covenant. It is a covenant relationship. We see in God's word that God entered into covenants with his people. We see different people entering into covenants one with another. But in God's word, we see the marriage as a covenant. In Proverbs chapter two, Solomon is warning about the strange woman and stepping outside of marriage. And then he indicates that marriage is a sacred covenant with God. In Malachi chapter two, uh, verses 13 through 16, that discussion of marriage, it says that yet is she, the bride is thy, is thy, is your companion and she is the wife of your covenant it is a covenant. So, so what's the difference between contract and covenant? How do we see the, the difference in that? Contracts are driven by a desire to get something we want. We want a service. So we enter into a contract to get that service. The salesman of that service, he wants a commission. He wants to make a deal. So he enters into that contract as well. So as we enter into contracts, we enter into contracts because we want to get something out of it. So many people enter into marriage the same thing. They enter marriage thinking, what am I going to get out of this? What, what can I benefit and what can I gain out of this? But covenant, covenant is initiated for the benefit of the other person. Covenant is, is, benefit, is initiated for the benefit of the other person. We see uh, Jonathan and David entering into a covenant because, because, because Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe and gave everything to David. His entering into that covenant was not for his own benefit, was before the benefit of the other. When God enters into covenant with us, with his people, when he entered into the new covenant with his people in the New Testament, it was not for his benefit. It was for our benefit. He came and he, and he took on uh, our, our flesh and he took on our sin and went to the cross and entered into covenant with us to benefit us, not for what he could gain out of it. Another thing about contracts is contracts are based on an if-then mentality. If you do this, then I'll do this. If I pay my mortgage, I get to live in my house. If I, if, 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 if the, um, if the, if the, the person lets me drive, the, the bank lets me drive the car if I make the payment. It's always this if-then. And with this, uh, with this if-then, there are kind of, there are ways out. And so it's the idea of if you make me happy, then I'll make you happy. If you do what you say you're going to do, then I'll do what I say I'm going to do. Covenant is not that way. 
Covenant says it's based on unconditional promises. It's not based on whether you feel the person is worthy of your love or whether you feel the person is worthy of your respect, worthy of your honor. Uh, Contracts are all about if then, if you do, then I will do. It's all about performance. It's all about performing and how you you completing and saying what you said you're going to do. Covenant is not about that. Marriage is to be about about I'm going to honor you regardless of of your worthiness. I'm going to love you regardless because it's not about an if then. It's not about performance. It's not about, well, if you do good to me, then I'll do good to you. And if you do bad to me, I cannot, I can do bad to you. And so many times I see marriages that are in that, that cycle. And they're like, you know, and I, I've, course, been able to counsel uh, couples for years and years and years, premarital and marital counseling. And so many times the, I'll, I'll hear a man say, well, if she will, if she'll respect me and treat me right, then I'll start showing love to her and care to her. Or I'll hear a woman say, well, if he will, if he, if he'd love me, I would respect him. Or if he would act worthy of respect, then I would give the respect. Folks, that's a worldly view. That's not a biblical view. Covenant says, I will be the one to initiate. I will be the one to step in and I will will serve and love sacrificially. Another thing about contracts, contracts are for a limited period of time. You, you sign a loan just for a set period of time. You sign a 15-year or 30-year mortgage. You sign a, a rental or a lease agreement. And the whole idea is that this is for a period of time so that there comes an end and, I can, and I'm going to be able to get out of this contract at some point. Or even we build in the contracts that if we want to get out of it early, there's an escape clause. We can pay a fee or we can do something to get out of that uh, at an earlier period. Covenant is forever. Covenant says that this is a lifelong, a permanent commitment. Um, man, when you understand covenant and study covenant in God's word, there are um, so many nuances and so many things about covenant as we see people entering into covenants, the things that were done that were basically pictures and signs of showing that I will never break this covenant, that I will hold fast to this covenant. And this is something that is forever. And that's exactly how we must approach marriage. We must approach marriage as a covenant relationship that is not designed to, to leave when things get hard, not designed to leave when things get challenging, not designed to, to leave when things get difficult. We see in Genesis chapter two that there is this leaving, this, this developing of independence so that we then might cleave one to another, so that we might hold fast. And as we leave and we cleave, the result then is able to be intimacy in the relationship. They, this, for, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That is God's design. That is God's plan is that the husband and wife would become one flesh, that they would enjoy an intimacy, an intimate relationship. Intimacy is the joy of knowing someone fully and completely and being known by that person without the fear of rejection. Being known intimately by that person without the fear of rejection. That's oneness. That's being one. That's intimacy. You see here the result of that in verse number 26, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There certainly is the physical aspect of that, but I think there's the the the, the spiritual and the uh, and the mental aspect of that even more so that there was the sense of they were completely open with one another. There was nothing standing in the way. There was no barrier. They were completely one. 
And man, God wants to use marriage as a husband and wife coming together and being one, walking in unity, walking in a sense of, of oneness together so that they're not in fear of rejection, but they are know that they are loved, know that they are accepted, uh, know that they have, they have come together. And acceptance, it's what everybody is craving and rejection is what everybody fears. And so God's plan and design is that in marriage, we would, we would come together and find that acceptance. Now, it's important to note that we're never going to find true intimacy in marriage unless we have first found true intimacy in Christ. That comes first. And that's why it's so important that, again, God's design is that, that a man and woman in Christ would come together and form this union in him. We, we, there's so many things that the world throws at us and we don't have time today to go into some of the different things that fight against intimacy in our marriage relationship. Certainly we see the, the primary one that was, we move right into chapter three, you know, Adam and Eve enjoyed this beautiful intimacy, knowing each other, being known by each other and being completely accepted. And then man, what broke it, broke, broke that intimacy down, sin did. And there are so many things about marriage where sin enters in and, and baggage enters in and things of this world enter in and so many things that fight against that intimacy. And this is why, again, we must seek to stay pure. Purity paves the way for intimacy. But on the other hand, impurity erodes our capacity to experience intimacy. It's so important that we keep marriage pure, that we keep our hearts and our minds pure before God so that we can uh, enjoy this design that, that God has for us. Folks, marriage is a beautiful thing. Marriage is something that God has designed, that God has put together for us to be able to, uh, to, 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 to be able to come together, to be able to complete one another, to be able to, uh, multiply that godly legacy, to be able to enjoy the physical intimacy, to be able to reflect his image, to be able to, uh, just to continue to shine brightly for him. May we hold marriage in high esteem. May we understand God's plan and God's design in marriage. Now, I recognize again that there are, because we live in a broken world, there are realities that, that must be addressed in marriage. And there are realities that, that sometimes cause uh, marriages to, to not be able to continue. But we got to know that that's not God's plan and not the heart of God and God's desire. I think if we, if we talk to people who have gone through some of those struggles and difficulties, they uh, would affirm today that God's design and God's plan is that marriage stay uh, together, that marriage, that we be committed to the marriage that, that God brings in our life. And then again, I think if we hold a high esteem of marriage, then we also must hold a high esteem of, of the, the responsibility that we as men have to hold women in high esteem, to love them, to nurture them, to care for them, to, to, to guide them, to find and to be all that God has created them to be. I pray that as we continue to understand that we are image bearers, that we'll also see what it looks like to have a marriage that's made in God's image as well, and that we will seek to pursue that with all that we are, and we'll seek to help others uh, find that same fulfillment and that same understanding of what it means to have a biblical marriage. This week, our prayer focus is on the country of China, so please join with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that your word leads us and guides us into truth. And we pray that we will apply these principles that we've heard even today, God, to our lives, to our marriages, to our families. God, we also lift up today the country of China. Lord, you know the needs that are there and how great they are. Lord, we we pray so desperately, God, for these families that are connected with Lifeline and, and other, other ministries as well, Lord, but families that 
Um, Lord, have children waiting in China that they're waiting to bring home. And Lord, it's been a difficult time over these last couple of years because of the travel restrictions and all the different issues with COVID. These families, Lord, have been waiting and you know their pain, you know their struggle, you know their heartache. And God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit again would draw them close to yourself, Lord, that you would comfort them, that you would uh, keep them focused and, and uh, Lord, in a place of dependence upon you. But God, we pray that you would remove these restrictions, that you would lift these bands and that these families soon Lord, will be able to travel and be able to bring home these children that you have uh, called them to, these children that you have placed in their family. Uh, and so, Lord, we just pray desperately, Lord, that this would happen soon. And uh, Lord, we know that some of these children have specific medical needs and they need that medical attention. And so, God, we just pray that you would protect them, keep them safe, watch over them. But God, that these families would be reunited soon and be able to bring their children home. God, we pray for the staff there in China, those that are caring for children. We pray for continued strength for them and stamina for them. God, we pray that those that don't know you would come to know, uh, come to faith in, in Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would come to a saving relationship with, through Christ with you, that you would use our team and use other people, Lord, around them to point them to Jesus and that uh, we would see them come to know you in faith. Lord, we pray for uh, the government there and those that are that have that make the decisions regarding children. We pray that you would soften their hearts, God. Uh, we pray that they would release the files of waiting children. We pray that they would uh, they would open up their borders to these families to travel. We pray that they would provide the opportunities that are needed, Lord, for different programs and camps and uh, for these children to be cared for well. Um, God, we pray specifically for those children that are there, Lord, the so many orphan children in China that need family, that need support, that need love. And we pray, God, that you would uh, hold these children up and that you would care for them and protect them as only you can do. God, I pray for our team here at Lifeline, Lord, our China team that so faithfully serves these families and these children. And we pray, God, that you would give them strength and stamina as well, give them wisdom as they seek to think of new creative ways to encourage, support, and and even make things happen. I pray if they, as they continue to, uh, Lord, invite new people into the program and as paperwork has to be completed and changed and done, I just pray that you would continue to give them the ability to, to do uh, their jobs well and that they would continue to honor you in doing so. Uh, God, we do praise you for the things that are happening. We praise you for, uh, Lord, the truth that we know of your word, that you are faithful. And uh, God, we praise you that you are able to bring all these things to to a right conclusion. And so, God, we trust you and we call out to you. And we surrender these things to you, Lord, in faith believing. Again, God, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to, uh, Lord, support gospel-centered families in their heart and desire to manifest the gospel of vulnerable children. I pray that you'll continue to keep us faithful and true to that mission. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.